Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy Jones. Thanks for tuning in to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership. Today, we have an acclaimed speaker and leadership expert and dear friend, Mr. Bob Berg. Bob's an international best-selling author and one of the world's elite authorities on relationship marketing and influence. Probably know him from his bestseller, The Go-Giver, and also Endless Referrals. You're just going to love what Bob has to share with us today. Stay tuned. You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy Jones, and welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and talk to the world's leading leaders on what it takes to pay the price of leadership. Today, I am beyond excited to welcome my dear friend, incredibly successful author, motivator, speaker, Bob Berg. And Bob, thank you so much for being on the show. Dr. Tremendous Tracy, it is so great to be with you. I go, Bob Berg. Listen, let me tell our listeners about Bob Berg. Bob is a member of the National Speakers Association, and he's an inductee into their Speaker Hall of Fame. Um, Bob Berg is an international best-selling author and one of the world's elite authorities in the field of relationship marketing and influence. The Go-Giver, many of you have heard of that book, who he co-authored with John David Mann, has sold over eight. 150,000 copies and created an international movement. His sales classic, Endless Referrals, continues to be used as a resource for companies and sales teams throughout the world. Bob's an advocate, supporter, and defender of the free enterprise system, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. That's why my dad loved you, Bob. You two were just like that. (laughs) Also, Bob, importantly, you guys know how important this is to me, is an unapologetic animal fanatic or fernatic, and he served on the board of directors of Furry Friends Adoption and Clinic in his hometown of Jupiter, Florida. Bob, again, welcome. Oh, my pleasure. You know, I, I love the fact that I can, that I can speak with the uh, daughter of one of my major life mentors, because you know how much of a mentor your dad was to me. Absolutely. And you were to him. I mean, he just loved you. And and you know what, Bob, since I came back, since he passed in 2008, you have been such an authentic advocate as you were to my father and mother. So you are to me. You stayed right there. When I was fumbling through all this, you're like, what do you need? What can I help you with? Remember, you even came back when we had the warehouse and you did a seminar for free where you just brought, you know, you spoke. I mean, you're just, you live it and breathe it. And I just, I'm so thankful to have you here and to share with other people so they can find out how tremendous you are too. Likewise. I'm <laughs> Thanks. Okay. So in my father's, one of the life-changing classics, one of his best known speeches is called the price of leadership. And in that, my father really talks about how leadership is one of the greatest things that we can do, but it ain't easy and it ain't for the faint of heart. It's one of the hardest things we're going to do. And he talks about four keys that a leader is going to have to be prepared to pay to get the price to wear the mantle of leadership. Leadership is, is, is a lot of responsibility. And the first one, Bob, that he talks about, he references the term loneliness. And it's tough to be lonely. It's lonely at the top. We as collective human beings, we don't like to be alone. Uh, but he talks about there are going to be times in leadership when there is a loneliness that goes along with that. Can you share to me in your decades of experience where you've encountered that as a leader or how you would define loneliness as a leader? Well, I think one place that that it happens is when you first understand that you are a leader, 
whether you think you are or not. Okay. And one of my biggest failures was when I made the jump from sales producer to sales manager, which should be called sales leader because that, that's what you're supposed right. to, to be. But, um, but you know, I was one of those people. I was a really good salesperson. I was a top producing salesperson. Got moved into again management leadership. I was horrible. I was the worst, and I didn't even I didn't know I was the worst. I didn't even know leadership was a thing other than they said you're the manager. You know, you're the leader. Um, but when but when things did not work out, I I came to realize you know this is not as easy as it seems. Oh, that's lonely. <laughs> that's that's lonely. Now he taught you know he talks about of course the loneliness of a leader that you know you're you're. Uh, uh, busting your gut trying to help mm -hmm. your people and they're abandoning you, you know, and they're not, I wasn't even at that point yet. Uh, okay. So, you know, to me, it was just realizing that I, I had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when your dad first started really teaching this, it was, you know, soon after he had become a very, very successful leader, but, you know, uh, but he said at one of his speeches, people would say, well, you know, Charlie Jones, how do you come as an authority on leadership? He said, I don't. Right. I come as a student right. of leadership. And that's one thing about your dad, because he, you know, he was everybody's mentor, mm -hmm. but he always considered himself to be a student. Mm -hmm. You know, he never stopped learning. He never stopped growing. There's loneliness in that as well. And so, I, you know, I think there are so many aspects as a leader, as you go from not even knowing that you're not a leader to realizing you're not a leader. <laughs> to starting the process of maybe becoming a leader. Oh my gosh. <laughs> There's loneliness every step of the way and you either accept it as a, as a thing or you don't. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't believe you said that because uh, uh, true confessions, because you brought it up about halfway through my dissertation, like two years ago, I realized being a leader and being good at leadership are two different things. <laughs> and I was like, so that's where I've been missing it. And I am so glad you shared that because a lot of times I can be a leader at something, you let it sales, but leadership is completely different. It's getting stuff done through other people. Mm. And that, I'm so glad you said that because I was always, I, I always ran a tight ship. I mean, I was in the military, so I always had my stuff squared away, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you're going to be good at leadership. And that's why I think as a leader, if you are feeling lonely, you may want to look at that and say, why aren't I getting the right people in? And I love that you said, Hey, I didn't even have the right people around to say, hey, they're not going to follow me. And I think, and I love that my dad was always very pragmatic about that too. Who knows? There are some people that just seem very gifted at it, but leadership is really a complicated and tough thing until you get that right team. And um, you realize that it's not just about you doing the right thing, but about the people under your influence doing the right thing. And exactly. And I'm like, how did I miss this? I mean, I, I have been in leadership my whole career. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing that you too went through that more metamorphosis where you realized, hey, I'm good at stuff. Why aren't I good at leading people? And yeah, it, leading stuff and leading people are mm -hmm. two completely mm -hmm. different things. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You can be a producer. That doesn't mean you're a leader. And like right. I love how you said it though more. You can lead at things. That doesn't mean you're a leader of others or that you can lead the field. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a different thing. 
Okay. So when you were doing this and you realized you were the sales leader, how did you, what did, how did you make the transition then? Did you just realize, Hey, I am alone. Nobody's following me. Did somebody come up alongside you? I mean, and for our listeners, if you're going through this, it's a natural thing. Some of it is just seasoning and growth. So don't be upset if you're like, well, that's where I am. Everybody, this isn't intrinsically obvious to people. You have to grow, you have to grow into leadership shoes. So how did you make the transition, Bob? So it was, you know, the same way that when I first got into sales, um, that, you know, I always say the company where I first started selling, their, their training was negligible at best. And when I say at best, I mean non-existent. Okay. Oh, wait, don't I sound like your dad when I say those kind of things? You know, <laughs> That's why I love it. <laughs> I used to love it. I was, at a, I was at, a, at a conference once. I, we, we both spoke at a Jim Rohn conference, and we were on a panel and uh, together. And, you know, your dad did his usual <laughs> unbelievable thing like he always did. So I got up, and I couldn't help it. I had to do like a Charlie Jones imitation. And I, I can't do his voice role. I never mastered his voice. But, but the things that he said, the way he said it, I could do it. So I said, you know, Charlie would say to you something like, you'd hold up like, how to win friends and influence people would say, you know this book, How to Win Friends and Influence People? And everybody would be going, you know, eh, and Charlie would say, don't read this book. And everybody would, what, huh, what? You know, he'd say, devour it, eat it up, take it in. You know, because you'd always, and you think, do people really think he, he means it when he says, don't read this book? You know, it's yeah. Like, ah. You know, yeah. but, but that was what he'd do. He'd always surprise you with something that was opposite of what you expected him to say. Then he'd then he'd explain it. I just, I just always loved that so much. So, um, so I floundered in sales for the first few months until one day I was in a bookstore. And again, this is 40 years ago, back in the day when bookstores were known more for selling books as opposed to coffee and, and you know, pastry and, and cookies and things like that. And there was a sales section, which surprised me because back then, you know, nowadays we just, that's, we take that for granted. Right. Back then, who knew that that was even a thing? And I remember seeing two books. One was by Tom Hopkins and the other was by Zig Ziglar. Mm-hmm. And I bought those books. And, and again, I, I just looked at the titles. What? You mean there's actually a way to do this, to selling? And I just, I devoured them and I practiced and I, uh, within a few weeks, my sales went through the roof. Now, the only difference between where I was right there when I walked into the bookstore and three weeks later was now I had a system. I had a methodology. Yes. And I yes. always say, you know, to me, and we all, you know, define things our own ways, I guess, but I define a system as simply the process of predictably achieving a goal mm-hmm. based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles. The key being predictability. If it's been proven that by doing A, you'll get the desired results of B, then you know that all you need to do is A and continue to do A and continue to do A, and eventually you'll get the desired results of, of B. So when I realized uh, that I knew nothing about leadership, I got books on leadership and started getting tapes. Back then it was cassette tapes or it wasn't, you know, and so it was like one step above an eight track tape, right. Know, like right in that kind of, and so, you know, so I'd read the books by the John Maxwell's and, and the Stephen Covey's and of course the Charlie Jones. By the way, you know, your the, the book Life is Tremendous was one of those books when I, again, when I first got into sales and, and once I understood sales and then you started finding out about all these other books Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. you know, um, life is tremendous with that picture of your dad looking like he's punting a football, which is mm-hmm. always the, kicking man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, that was like one of the books 
that you had to read. You know, you never went to a sales seminar, read someone's book, heard someone in training who didn't say to get life is tremendous. Mm -hmm. I mean, isn't that unbelievable to know that, that your dad made that kind of a difference, that that's actually one of those books that for umpteen years, that was one of the books. You got that, The Greatest Salesman in the World, and, you know, of course, Ziggs and, and so forth. But, you know, that your daddy's book, that was one you had to have. That was mm-hmm. in the, you know. And so um, so I just started learning about leadership and, and mm-hmm. started learning from the people who, you know, first with the books and the tapes, but I'd also now start paying a lot more attention. And I'd start asking people, you know, about and because I, I now knew what I didn't know. And I was in a position to start exploring and, and, and finding, you know, finding out. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's like anything else. You get the information, you start applying it, you start making a lot of mistakes. Right. And, and you start course correcting. And that's, you know, that's what you do. Well, that's a good way to cure loneliness, too, is read about the other leaders that have been through what you're going through 100 times worse and live to fight another day. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I just love it. And that's why I got up. A doctorate in leadership. People are like, well, what do you mean you've been doing this? And I'm like, yeah, but when you study leadership, you understand that there are constructs and there are taxonomies and there are there is a structure to it. It's not just how, yes, we're emotional creatures. And yes, some people are more gifted than others, but there are a lot of things that you can control and develop. There's skill sets and there's, there's a science to success. It's not just something that happens to some people. So I love that you, you, you talked about, hey, you, you find out what you don't know and you're humble enough to to admit it and you're open enough to absorb it and receive it and you know books can be your best friends when everything else is falling apart most of the time when I've been so lonely I couldn't even talk to my mom about something I'll go grab a book exactly and that'll get me where I need to go yeah awesome yeah. okay so Bob the next thing he talked about after loneliness he talks about weariness and it is it, it's tough we're not spring chickens anymore and uh, but boy he kept going uh, like he had like vitamin uh, T going through his veins but but he yeah. talked about um, you know there's always going to be people doing way more than their share and ones that aren't and uh, you you probably remember this quote he'd say he's like my problem isn't my keeping myself motivated it's keeping other people from de- demotivating me you know and so his he always had this thing about I think he stayed as a pretty good self uh, propelling machine, but then you get into the grind of the world where there's different things. How would you de- define weariness and how do you keep your stamina, your strength, your attitude? How do you keep it going? Yeah. And I, and I think there is that danger when you get around people. And, and he talked about, you know, uh, about the people that you get around who would try to talk you out of things. And those are dangerous people to be around if you mm-hmm. let them affect your, your mind. And of course, we have so much of that in the world today when you, uh, whether it's online, whether it's, uh, you know, the, the people that everyone has an opinion and, and they just know they're right. And so, <laughs> and worse yet, you are wrong. I don't like people wrong. having opinions, but I don't want you to tell me that somebody's wrong. That's people's values and convictions. Everybody's entitled to that. That's yeah, even exactly. more weary. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it does. And it wears you down if you... So I think it, you know, in a sense, it begins with you having a, a higher reason mm. for doing what you do. Okay. And I, and I think that's such a human thing. I think we have really... We've been programmed as human beings to want to make a contribution and to want something bigger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, very few people can really be motivated strictly by money, okay? Um, 
to a certain point, of course, it's very important. It's a, it's a big part how we, um, you know, we said money is an echo of value. And typically, the, the more value you provide the marketplace, the more money with which you'll be rewarded. And, and that's important. Um, but once we have enough to be able to subsist mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, live in a way we <clears throat> choose to according to our values, after that, we've got to have something more. We've right. got to. Um, and so, you know, uh, you know, you, you take your dad, for example, again, that, you know, what his, his goal was to touch other people's lives and make a difference in their lives. Okay. And so everything he did, he was some, I remember being at a, another conference with him and he was speaking at that one. And I was, I was in attendance and I remember coming back afterwards and I was watching him at the uh, book table at the uh, sales table. And when he would tell people about books, and I think he gave away more books than he sold. I mean, this guy, he right? Did. But he had, he, all he wanted to do was touch people's lives and introduce them to something, you know, that would benefit their lives. And he would talk about the books with such love. And he would, uh, you know, he was a guy who, who lived for something greater than himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, whether we talk about that in terms of religious faith, uh, whether we talk about it in terms of books, whether we talk about it, uh, however it might be, he had a, a reason for living that kept him from succumbing to that wariness. As he said, it's not that I didn't want to quit. He just, you know, it, because everybody wants to, but you want to not want to quit, too, right. because you have something more <laughs> to right. live for. It's not that you don't get the feelings of it. Right. Um, but when you have something bigger than yourself, you will resist that urge. And all you want to do is quit wanting to quit because, you know, you have something that is there for you to, you know, to grasp. I love that. You brought that. And he'd say that we all want to quit. You can quit. Just don't do it. And it's perfectly right. natural. And he's like, no, I made a fortune out of wanting to quit, but I'm not going to do it. Bob, right. have there been times throughout your career where you've been tempted to call it a day? put all your pieces back in the game box and say, let's try something else. Oh gosh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times, especially when I was, when I was, I'd say the first few years of the business and I, I and there were times I had to decide and came really close to having to get a real job, uh, you know, to, to um, and then maybe speak on weekends if I could, I didn't have quite enough, you know, and I, re- I remember I-, I was about three years into the, the business and I was everything in my business like you start out being. And the, cha- the big challenge is that you can, you can sell your services, but then you have to actually go out and perform the services. And then so you're stopping the selling your services. Yes. And so, right. And it goes like that for a while. It's sort of a never ending thing from the outside. It looks like you're doing great, but you're really, you know, you're, you're just you're treading water. OK. And starting to sink. And that's what I was doing. And I remember I was at a National Speakers Association uh, conference and Linda Miles, and I, I don't know if you remember Linda, she she worked very much just like uh, Naomi and Jim Rohde in the dental uh, field. She worked oh, very okay. much in the dental field, mm-hmm. a very, just a, a sweetheart of a person. And I remember her saying that at one point when she first started, she got so desperate, she was reading the want ads, thinking she was, got, well, that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of, of, of you know, Linda's talk. And I'm thinking, you know, I had at one point, I was so down, I had one more day, it was a Friday afternoon, and I said, if I don't land something, I need to, you know, read the newspaper, the want ads this week, and and just at least get another, uh, get a full-time job selling, and then 
build my speaking business. Now, I didn't want to do that, though. No. I didn't want to quit this because right. I really loved it. Right. But and so it was near the end of the day and it was pretty much it. Nothing was happening. I had my back then. We used to have the uh, it was a, this big, huge directory it was called the national trade professional association directory it was this huge thing and i got that yeah, yeah they sell for like nine hundred dollars yeah yeah, oh, yeah back then yeah yeah the national no, they still do yeah. yeah they still have the um they still have it and you can get it online for like twenty five hundred dollars this is huge yeah i, I yeah. mean i bought it like three years ago i'm sorry go ahead so you're going through this book i'm sorry no no that's okay and and so um Finally, it was the end of the day and there was no, and then I remembered something I used to do when I was in sales. Okay. At the end of the day, when the day was over and there were no more calls left to be made, I would make one more call. Okay. So if I was on the road, somewhere, I'd stop in at one place. If I was, if I was on the telephone, I'd make one more call. You didn't have to get the, didn't have to make a sale, but one more call. And but here's the interesting thing, as you can imagine. It was amazing how many times that one more call landed something. Okay. So I thought, you know what? It's the end of the day. I, I'm through. Uh, you know, this didn't happen. I'm going to have to read the paper. But you know what? I'm going to make one more call. So I just opened up the National Trade Professional Association, the directory, and landed on the um, PGA of America, Professional Golfers Association of America. Now. There's a group that does not need what I sell. Uh, in fact, at the, at the time I was, I was teaching a program on how to remember people's names. That, that was like my big thing back then. That's what I started out speaking on and did that for the first few years. And I said, what do they need? But you know what? I, that wasn't the point. It was one more call. So I called. And a very nice woman answered. And I, I, I said, uh, you know, I... I think I even said something like, I really don't know if this is something that could ever be of use to, you know, what you, because I'm thinking the pro golfer, you know, the people on TV, right? I'm thinking, and I said, uh, but, you know, I do this program on how to remember people's names and faces where I can show them how to blah, 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 right? And she said, oh, it's really interesting because the, the, the division you just called, we don't really work with the pro golfers. We work with the golf professionals. In other words, the ones that run the club, the um, country clubs and do teach lessons. She said, and we have a continuing education program and we have about 42, I think it was 42, they call them sections instead of states and 42 sections. And uh, this sounds like a great course for continuing ed credit. She said, is that something you'd be interested in doing? <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, let me think about this for a yes. No, and so uh, <laughs> anyway, over the next couple of years, that I think I did like 32 or 33 of the 42 divisions and it kept me in business. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, and it allowed me by the, uh, at that point to actually hire a, a part-time person who could help me, whatever. It was one more call. Okay. It was a weariness that I fought off by making one more call. Mm -hmm. And as a leader, what can we do when we are feeling so wary for whatever reason that, that, because no one's listening or no one's moving or no one's this or no one's that. Can we say, you know what? Can I touch one more person's life? Oh my God. Can I have one more conversation with one of my people and find out what I can do to help serve them better? Mm -hmm. You know, I, whatever it is. And so I think sometimes when we, when we, 
decide to do a certain thing and we take action on it without attachment to the results. Because remember, it wasn't a matter of that, that call having to, it was just make that call, make the, you know, the one more call. Um, it, fortunately, the results turned out well. They, they won't always, but you know you did the work. And, you know, it's, you know there's a, a saying in, uh, uh, in the uh, teaching of the rabbis, it's called hishtadlis. And hishtadlis can be defined as the personal human effort that we take as human beings in partnership with God. Mm-hmm. So it's not just saying, oh, God, deliver me a client. Right. It's do the work that you need to do. Do the hishtadlis, okay? Mm-hmm. And then if it's supposed to happen, then it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think when we talk about weariness, we need to sort of say, okay, I'm going to overcome the weariness by taking the action. Well, I think that's a great point because sometimes when I get the most weary and sad and almost depressed, it's when I'm not taking action. Uh, you know, activity has a way of just um, <clears throat> energizing me. But can I go back to you talked about then your business and I love how you said it. Uh, you know, it's the old E-Myth revisited Michael Gerber. Don't right. work in the business, work on the business. So I love that you brought up because for us small businesses, okay, I got to do the operation stuff, but then I'm out, but then I'm not pumping the pipeline. So can you talk to me about how you scaled your business then? You mentioned as you got this business, you hired somebody on, but a lot of people are really good what they do, but how would you, can you give us some ideas of when you know you need to scale it, the work, so you know it doesn't all come down on you? Yeah, well, and I mean, that's a fantastic discussion point because it's so important. There's only so much that you can do mm-hmm. if you're going to, to grow and stop treading water. The right. tough part and, and the part that we never know is it, it's when we're in that sort of region where we know we need to, but we know we can't afford to, but we can't afford not to. Yes. <laughs> so what do you do, right? Yes. And, what do you do? Yeah. And so, well, you know, so one of the things your dad talks about is don't wait until you know the decision is right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you've got to, you know, I'm not saying step out on faith without, without first considering it. Right, count the cost. I mean, the Bible talks about that. Yeah. Even the old Testament, count the cost. Yeah. Once you're, but once you, you believe you have, um, you have the facts there. Now you've got to make a decision and you might, you don't know that it's going to be right, Mm -hmm. but you know that when you make the decision and your dad said this, you can do what you need to make the decision. Right. Right. And, yeah, <laughs> you said, and he would say that he'd say that make it, make it yours, and die by it. And what he meant by die by it is not really die by it, but right. he meant stick to it. But then the, he had this adaptive capacity that okay, make it today, but then tomorrow, like you said, you may find out you get another contract or you lose one, and then you kind of tweak and you can make adjustments. We don't have to like stay so rigid to it that we right. can exactly things change. You know exactly. And, uh, and so, so when you're at that point that you don't know, once you decide that what, because I've had a lot of other people, especially a lot of other speakers who've been in that, that nether region and have said, okay, right. so Bob, should I get somebody? Should I hire somebody? And the answer is, I don't know because I can't make their decision for them. Right. But we can say, what would happen if you don't, where do you see things? You know, do you see yourself being able to slowly grow to a place you'll be able to, or are you going to keep treading water, but sinking a little bit? Because if that's the case, you've got to get someone. Got to make it. Do what you need to. 
Thank you, Bob. That That is huge. And I know the listeners out there, that is something everybody, I don't care if you're selling insurance or you're a wealth planner or real estate, a lot of us are entrepreneurs. And so we have to grow our business and to grow it, we have to ev- eventually be delegating. So just thank you for that because it will get weary. And and I love that, but you don't want to, you don't want to do the death by a thousand cuts, paper cuts. You know, right. you want to make sure that in the grand scheme of things, yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So loneliness, we talked about weariness. The next point he talked about was abandonment. And he says there, this is really about being focused on the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing, you know, Stephen Covey. And um, he would say, you know, we need to really be disciplined and focus on what we ought and need to think about and not what we like and want to think about. So how do you, because you know, as well as I do, as entrepreneurs, we get a million miles a minute. We're never short on ideas and doing stuff. How do you stay really honed in on what you need to do, Bob? Um, and the rest. Yeah, well, this is something that I've always had to work on because I am that person who, you know, uh, was that old cartoon, you know, you know, squirrel, right? You know, and I, <laughs> you know, the next thing to me is always just so exciting. So because I know that's a weakness of mine, I know I've got to, I had to learn to say no mm-hmm. to pretty much everything, <laughs> you know, and say yes only to those things that were going to be the highest and best use of my time. Because if I wasn't doing that, I wasn't going to be able to serve those who are, you know, who, who I serve, who are, right? And so, um, and, I, and I think this is true in a lot of areas. I think it's when you talk about a person's a character, for example. Um, and, you know, character comes from an old Greek word uh, for scrape or scratch. Uh, it came to mean an engraved marking and eventually a defining quality. Hmm. Now, if one were to wax poetic, we could say that that character is what happens when life etches or scratches hmm. itself onto your soul. And that would be wonderful, except I'm not really poetic. So I like a defining quality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we could say actually more accurately, the sum total of all one's qualities is their defining quality or character. And you think of, um, uh, you think of people that we know, uh, people like my dad and your dad and, and Tom Ziegler's dad and, and, you know, different people that we know who have that, that immensely high character. And when you think about it, people with high character, they always tend to stand for something. And we all know where they stand. Yeah. Now, wow. that doesn't mean they um, don't make mistakes because they're right. human. So of right. course they make mistakes. It doesn't mean they don't course correct. They absolutely course correct. And it doesn't mean, and you were alluding to this uh, a few minutes ago, it doesn't mean they're not flexible on strategy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely they are. But when it comes to those values-based decisions, they are immovable, immutable, and unchangeable. And that's why we respect them. Yes. Okay. Even if we don't always agree with them. Right. We respect them, right. Uh, I always thought that was one reason why Ronald Reagan was such a great president. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because even people who disagreed with him, they always knew where he stood. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was very principle based. Um, and I think if you look at the leaders, that we know, the greatest leaders, uh, they have that. They have that sense of character where you just know 
what they stand for, okay? You, you know they're not going to veer off from that because it's so much a, a part of them. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's really a lot of, you know, and when we talk about, um, you know, it's like when we talk about abandonment, right? Somebody like that will not be abandoned. But it doesn't mean you don't feel like it sometimes. Mm. Because remember, that person of character, how many times do the people around them maybe not necessarily have that same sense? Wow. Right? And that can make a person, that can make great leaders feel abandoned. You know, that goes back to people saying, oh, you shouldn't do this because so-and-so, so-and-so except you're going to do it because it's who you are. Mm-hmm. And because it's who you are, it's mm-hmm. what you do. Mm-hmm. But you got to be very strong. <laughs> well, that, that thread that you just mentioned, that circles back to the loneliness portion. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in studying followership, which is what my focus of study was, the best followers, um, the best leaders had the best followers. And yes, it is important that they lead. But 80% of it is on the followers and or co-leaders, whatever, team members. And the more that they are all in, the more the leader can be all in. I tell people, if you want a better leader, be a better follower. Oh, because absolutely. it's lonely enough at the top. If, if I know you're not, your heart's, it's like trying to be married to somebody and knowing that in a minute, they're checking everybody else out and they're ready to jump ship. And so I tell people, you know, it, it's so tough. But if you're going to show up for a job, if you're going to earn a paycheck with somebody, somebody's somebody signature on it, or like you, go all in, make that last call do whatever you can but you, you got to go all in or it's just not going to work uh you know i mean that's in it in a nutshell i mean yeah. isn't that yeah well and it is it, it is tough because i think abandonment because especially in the world today we, we put so much emphasis on, oh do we like you or do you have this fan base or your people are and i'm like courage is about you doing it whether everybody whether you have one supporter or not because mm-hmm. there are going to be sometimes where you're the only one that may see it for a certain time. So you gotta, you, like you said, when you've got that cause, sometimes it's just you and that cause going along your merry way until other people are drawn towards that mm-hmm. and see that, that strong character. Then you draw that strong team around you, but otherwise you'll just keep drifters coming in and out of your life trying to, you know, been and, there. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, in that kind of then segues into the next part of what your dad talked about, which was vision. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that person has that, you know, the easy part is having the vision. The the toughest part is holding the vision, <laughs> especially when you go through what? Loneliness, abandonment, uh-huh. right? weariness, people telling you you're, yeah. you're out of here. I don't want your stuff. I know. I know. Wow. Uh, yeah. Holding the vision. Well, it's just like um, Mark Victor Hansen. He's going to be on the show. And he said, hey, Tracy, publishing, he's doing a, a book writing. He said, publishing is 10%. Marketing is 90%. I'm like, no kidding. I mean, that's what that's what vision is. I mean, and dad would say that vision is just seeing what needs to be done and doing it. Anybody yeah. can look at the world really and see what needs to be done. But who's going to show up and do it? And that's really what vision is, you know? Yeah. And Mark and Jack, I mean, look at the vision they had to have with this, this idea. Because I remember Mark, he came in to do a talk for the Florida Speakers Association chapter. Uh-huh. And he talked about that he and Jack Canfield had this idea for a book. And I think they even said it was that they were going to call it Chicken Soup for the Soul. They, they hadn't even written it yet. 
Yeah. And he yeah. expected that, but what a vision. And didn't they go through, you know, something like 135 oh, or yeah. 150 rejections, their own agent gave up on them. They had, you know, and then look what they, they did. Right. That. Right. And people, you know, how many people think, Oh, they lucked out. They hit right. on a good idea that, that no, no, they have no. a vision that, few people believed in other than themselves and boy did they just go with that right and there's and if you're some people i watch some leaders and they're blessed at every stage of their career to have somebody like i was talking to ken Ken blanchard was on dr blanchard and at every stage of his career he had somebody come alongside him and co-lead with him but then there's the rest of us that you know maybe you're blessed with that or maybe there are going to be times where you really have to you're the only one seeing it and even your family and friends are like uh, okay. Like Walt Disney, when he first started out, everybody's like, please, you're, you're bankrupting us. Give this up. And he's like, no, no, I see the vision. I see the vision. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I have to ask Mark about that, but I knew, I knew it was a struggle to get that push. So, and then, but how do you gain, how do you gain uh, vision has that future component? How do you keep adjusting or honing your vision, growing in wisdom and discernment for what you need to do with, with your organization and all your uh, go-giver networking group, your facilitators? How do you, how do you keep growing in vision? You know, I, I think it's, it's really, it's staying in student mode and mm. staying in learning mode. And looking to see what those who you admire, you know, are, are doing and um, not copying them, but emulating their, their thought processes and saying, okay, what, you know, what did they, and, and sometimes it is the idea that they say, wow, what a, a great idea. Others, right. it, it's how they think and what they're, and, you know, and you just keep on, you, 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 you keep things open that should be kept open. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, we don't want to be so open-minded that our brains fall out, but we want to be open-minded enough that we're, you know, that we're able to take in information and say, maybe I hadn't thought of it or thought of it that way. And there is a way to do that. Now, I have a brilliant business partner, Kathy Tajanel, who can do things. She does so many things well. See, I do very, very few things well. I do a, a couple things really well, but everything else I am like horrible, Okay. She does well at all these amazing things that, yeah. that I would be lost about, okay? So it's a wonderful partnership. Um, so we can look at things together and, you know, where one of us sees something and the other doesn't, we play it off each other and we were able to discuss it out. We're also able to call on our network of people and ask, what do you think of this idea? Or she might see something and I don't necessarily, especially if it's something that has to do with online, I tend to be one of those people because I'm so non-technical. Mm-hmm. I tend to almost by nature want to dismiss it. I just, I'm not, that's not a good trade. It just happens to be when it comes to, right. I think I get a little intimidated, but she's so good at the online stuff that I know that if she thinks it's something that is worth looking at, it's probably really worth looking at. Okay. So it's being able to be a good student and stay in that and, and stay in that mode. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure it's anything really more than that. Right. And I love that. And and Mark Amtower was on right before you. And he said the same thing. Once you get your vision, you have your vision, but then run it by the people that you like, you trust and are better at it than you to get their input too. Not, and my dad would say, don't let people talk you out of doing it. Cause sometimes we get counsel just cause we'll talk me out of it, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about people that can really hone your vision because our vision is prickly and it needs rubbed off and it needs um, a reality check and it needs, you know, some structure on 
it so we can make sure we're not just blindly doing something that we know we don't really have a good chance of succeeding at. So, I mean, I love that. Vision is a collective thing. You know, it's born in a singular person's heart, but then it's really, it's a collective. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I got to tell you, it's really funny. There used to be one guy, kind of an older guy I knew, very successful in business, but he was a very negative kind of guy, actually. Mm -hmm. But I used to run ideas past him figuring he was going to say it's a, it's a loser of an idea. Okay. And I, I, that wouldn't matter to me. I would still go in and ask other people and try, but if he said it was a good idea, I knew it was a good idea <laughs> because he was so negative about, about ideas. And yet again, he was a very successful business person. Well, but, yeah. yeah. But I knew cause different people just operate different ways. Yeah. But I go, and if he said, Oh, it's a lousy. Okay. Well, thanks. Listen, I really appreciate your thought. And then I'd go on and, and do whatever it is I was going to do. But if he said it was a good idea, I knew it was a good idea. <laughs> I love that. Boy, he reserved it. He made you work for it. I like that. <laughs> Critical thinker of the highest order. Oh, all right, Bob. Oh, listen, anything else you want to leave our uh, our listeners with, you as a leader, what, to encourage them or you just know, some counsel on leadership? There's two things. Mm-hmm. One is, again, a lesson I learned from your dad. And and uh, this was a, a, such a great lesson for me because – I remember, and this is again, this is a, a talk I saw him, and I've told you some of the stories about your dad, like when I first met him and things like that, and mm-hmm. and, and and so forth. And these, and I always love sharing Charlie Jones stories because they're just always awesome stories. Um, but I didn't meet him this time. But I, when the first time I saw him speak, again, he was the keynote speaker at a National Speakers Association convention. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I was a younger speaker, so I had been at the point where I was, you know, I had a speaking business going, um, but uh, certainly it wasn't, you know, at a point where I had, was comfortable with it yet, you know, I was still, and there was a, it was at a time, and I don't know why this was, there was some, something in the economy or something, you cannot, whatever, but the, the, the business was down. It was, it seemed like it was down for most people, but you know, speakers, right? Everybody's doing great. Oh yeah. So, so Charlie, <laughs> I mean, you paid six hundred thousand dollars a speech. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so your dad was a speaker. Now remember, I had not met him yet. All I knew him about oh. was from Life is Tremendous. Okay. And so I and so, but but it's like, wow, I'm going to get to see Charlie Jones speak. But Charlie's up there, and I and I, I know I'm paraphrasing a little bit, so please forgive me. It was a long time ago, but I remember him saying. Uh, he, he was saying, you know, people are saying, you know, what's going on with the business right now? Is this a time for, 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 for business? People are saying the business is bad. The economy is bad. And you're thinking, is it a good time for business? And, and I thought he was, you know, being Charlie Tremendous Jones, he was going to say, yes. Okay. He goes, it's a horrible time for business. It's the worst time for business. This is the most horrible economy they right? Which you wouldn't expect all you say. But then he goes, no. Don't be a bonehead about it and just stop. Get on the phone. Get on the phone and make calls. Forget about how bad it is out there. It's up right. to you. Right, because he did that thing where he does the, you know, says the opposite at first of what you think you're going to say. And then he, oh, another thing he says, and he, <laughs> I think he talked about that, this in his, in his speech that we've been referring to, when he talked about challenges. Oh, oh, yeah. And he said something like, in his speech, he, and then this wasn't the, at the the uh, speaker's one. This is the one that based on the on his on the book, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, based on the price of leadership. That speech where uh, he says, you know, people say, 
I well, he said something. Well, what about those speakers who say I love challenges? I live for the challenges. He said I hate challenges. I don't like challenges. You know, I like the solution, or I like the. Um, I can't remember what he said. I like, I like to sit back and watch things work. You know, right. I like to kick my feet back. Yeah. Yeah. He said I like I like results. Right. <laughs> yeah. I like yeah. Challenges. And I thought you know, it, and it's it's so funny because like when people talk about change. They say, oh, change is wonderful. Change is great. And I think, I hate change. I don't want to change. Mm-hmm. I want to build something and then, like, just keep going without changes because I already know what the, right? And so, <laughs> but then I talk about back in the late 90s as things started to change in terms of the internet, mm-hmm. I let myself, I didn't change with mm-hmm. the times. And it set my business back almost to, to the beginning where I had to rebuild. Mm-hmm. And the lesson in it was, I don't have to like change. I just have to change if right. I want the results that you're going to get by changing and not the results by not changing. And that always reminded me of, of what, you know, of your dad, you know, what he said about the, and so, <laughs> so that was one thing. It's like it, that, that whether you, whether we like something or not, isn't necessarily the issue. We're going to like some things. And we're going to hate other things. Right. Uh, we just have to know that if we want this result, then we have to, do the thing that's going to make it happen. The other lesson, and, and I guess I'll leave you with, with, with this lesson, and it's, it's certainly something that could have been told to me by Charlie Tremendous Jones. It just happened to be that it was told to me by a person where I was working uh, when I was in, in sales. Well, I'm still in sales. I'm always in sales. But when I was selling for you know a company where I was employed by that company, I was selling a, I think it was my second sales job or third sales job. And I was, I was selling for, I'd been in sales a couple of years. I had done pretty well. And yet I was in a sales slump. And those can be very discouraging. And I was selling a high ticket item at the, at the time. And I remember coming back from a non-selling appointment. Now, it was not a non-selling appointment by design, right? It was supposed to be a selling appointment. But because of my own ineptitude, uh, the sale didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And not only, and it would have been a great product for that particular person. But because of my own ineptitude uh, or ineptness, I'm not sure what the right word is, but uh, because I didn't do it right, <laughs> the, that person not only didn't get the benefit of the product, I didn't get the benefit of helping him get the product. And I also didn't get a really nice sales commission, which I would have had, had that sale taken place. So instead of a win-win, it was a lose-lose. And I remember going back to the office and I was sitting in the salesperson's lounge and I must've had a disgusted look on on my face. Um, See, there was a a problem. And I'll just say this, there was a problem that was was in operation there. And that problem was me, (laughs) as it always is, okay? It's always that person in the mirror, but I didn't know that at the time. And there was an older guy there, much older guy. He wasn't even in the sales department. I think he was in the engineering department. And I don't think he was even with the company that much longer. I think he retired, you know, mm-hmm. pretty soon afterwards. Didn't know him well. Uh, nice guy, but didn't say much. But whenever he did say something, it was always profound. Mm-hmm. So, and I think he saw me as sort of a of Joe in The Go-Giver, that kind of young up and comer, lots of potential, hard worker, but something's holding him back from being as successful as he could be, right? And so, um, and so he said to me, Berg, he was a, a last name kind of guy. He said, Berg, can I give you some advice? And I said, yeah, please, please do. And he said, if you want to make a lot of money in sales, he said, don't have making money as your target. 
Mm. Your target is serving others. Now, when you hit the target, he said, you'll get a reward. And that reward will come in the form of money. And you can do with that money whatever you choose. But never forget, that money is simply the reward for hitting the target. It ain't the target itself. Mm. Your target is serving others. And that's when I realized that great salesmanship is never about the salesperson, just like great leadership is never about the leader. Great salesmanship is never about the product or service, just as great leadership is never about the company itself. Great salesmanship, great leadership is about the other person. It's about those lives who you choose to touch with the value you provide. It's how you make another person's life better just by having been a part of it. And when you operate with that, what we call other focus, right? Now you're nine steps ahead of the game yes. in a 10 step game because your focus is in the right place. Bob, I can't think of a more beautiful way to put it. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing that. Just that slight paradigm shift and that orientation towards, you know, just, yes, we want to do well, but, but just what, how can you impact somebody else's life? And you know what? That's what my dad strives to do, strove to do. That's what you do. And it's just, that's a wonderful reminder that we need to hear several times every day for the rest of our lives. And I thank you for sharing that with me. And I know our listeners are, are going to be tremendously blessed by that as well. Thank you. Yeah, excellent. Okay, so Bob, how do people stay in touch with you? Because I know they're going to be like, many of them probably already are, but the rest are going to be like, I want to stay connected to Bob. How can they reach out and stay in touch with you? Uh, best way is just to go to Berg, B-U-R-G dot com. And while there, they can scroll down. There's all sorts of different resources on the site. So plenty to do. So come to Berg.com and hang out and have fun. Awesome. All right, Bob. Well, thank you again so much. It has just been a wonderful time of enlightenment. I appreciate your insights and, and sharing some of the things throughout your career. A lot of that stuff I didn't know. And of course, always hearing about you and my dad going down memory lane. What a blessing you are to me. Thank you. Thank you, right, Dr. Bob. Mendes Tracy. I appreciate you so much. Thank you, Bob. All right. And to our listeners, thank you so much. And uh, thank you for being part of our tremendous tribe and have a tremendous day. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>